0: Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording.
1: On this Labor Day weekend we turn to Ephesians 4 for our call to confess our sins. Ephesians 4, just two verses. Twenty eight and twenty nine. Hear God's word. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Thus far, the reading of God's word. This first verse 28 calls us to labor, to give to those in need on this Labor Day weekend. uh, Never mind the the origins of the unions or whatever that may be. We can consider God's view of labor on this weekend. Uh, It is good at the end of the day to be tired from your labor. That is a blessing of God. Many of us tend to think that we can't do any more labor than we're already doing when we actually could. Uh, Some of us even may need a kick in the pants to take a second job or a better job to provide for your people, now or in the future. Young people especially can consider this. Others of us need to be told to cease from our labor now and then and enjoy your people. Both can be a problem. Verse 29 is very different, but it relates to our Heidelberg Catechism reading, which takes four questions on the third commandment. It's quite something. Most commandments get only one question. This third commandment gets four questions, two Lord's days. Uh, No corrupt speech is what Ephesians 4 says. Make sure that your speech is conveying the truth. And as far as swearing goes, don't swear on your mother's grave or on other things. They can't testify to what you're saying when God can. So let's consider our labor and our speech today as we confess our sins. Let's take up our Bibles once again and turn to Acts 14. Walking through the book of Acts recently, we've come to chapter 14. Last week, remember, Paul was in Pisidian Antioch, had that long chapter, his uh, message to the Jews there. Now we get a, a series of towns and events in chapter 14. Let's pray before we read. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We pause to consider what this is, that you have revealed yourself to us, that that every one of these words is given by you, comes from your mouth, breathed out uh, to give us life. Just as you breathed life into Adam at the beginning, Lord, so you have breathed life into us once again, uh, converting us, regenerating us. And you continue, uh, Lord, uh, to breathe life into us. Let us accept your gift gratefully as we hear your word read and preached once again. Uh, May this cause us not simply to have life, but to have Christ-likeness. We pray in his name. Amen. Acts 14. Hear God's word. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together... To the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided part sided with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers, to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, "'said with a loud voice, "'Stand up straight on your feet.' "'And he leaped and walked. "'And when the people saw what Paul had done, "'they raised their voices, saying, "'in the Lycaonian language, "'The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men.' "'And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, "'because he was the chief speaker. "'Then the priest of Zeus, "'whose temple was in front of their city, "'brought oxen and garlands to the gates, "'intending to sacrifice with the multitudes.' But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, Gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and played, prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, as usual, we'll walk through this verse by verse, take a few sections at a time, and then apply. The first section we have here is uh, Paul and his apostolic team uh, not backing down. They don't back down in Iconium. Uh, I've on occasion read um, Doug Wilson's material and I remember years ago reading he said that he likes to he he likes some uh, classic rock and every now and then he'll listen to Tom Petty his uh, I won't back down and and he'll be driving around town in his truck in Moscow, Idaho listening to I won't back down and he says I listen to that on purpose because that's important sometimes you've got to not back down. And I thought of that as I thought of this section. I literally wrote, don't back down, in my notes. And I thought, oh yeah, there's a song about that somewhere. The, the Jews have a divided response. The whole town does, really, in Iconium. Between the Jews and the apostles, right? And the Jews poisoned the mind of the rest of the town and the other Jews. The, the word is literally an embittered soul. They, they get the town embittered, angry. Upset with the apostles. And that's what's happening here. Many oppose and reject the claims of Christ. And notice here that Paul and Barnabas don't leave when they get slandered. It's quite striking what it says. Uh, Verse uh, 3 at the beginning. They poison their minds, verse 2, verse 3. Therefore, now what would you expect if if you're being talked against and talked down in one place? Therefore, well, I'm going to go somewhere else then. No, verse 3, therefore they stayed there a long time. (laughs) In other words, they're not backing down. That's what's going on here. reminds me, too, at the end of 1 Corinthians, I just finished reading, uh, where Paul says, I'm going to stay in Ephesus, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. (laughs) There again, you'd expect if there's many adversaries, we'll find some place where there aren't so many adversaries. That wasn't Paul's style. So Paul and Barnabas, they don't back down. Uh, That's important for us to remember. Think about some other times in the Bible. When Israel asks for a king, God has to remind Samuel that they haven't rejected Samuel, they've rejected God. Right? It seems in there that Samuel has a bit of, uh, he's taking the criticism personally or something. And God has to say, no, don't worry about it. Just keep doing your job. Uh, Or when Jesus warns his disciples what's coming for them, he says, the disciple is not above his master. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. We need to learn this lesson closely. If we are not secure in our saving and loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, then we're going to cast about for acceptance from people. And we're going to wind up crossing lines that we shouldn't cross to get others to like us. So it's not really coming from Tom Petty. No, I won't back down. I'll stand my ground in a world that keeps on pushing me around. No, I won't back down. Right? But it's not really coming from Tom Petty. The source of that comes from our security and our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we know we are loved in him, we don't have to be manipulated to do other things, to cross lines we shouldn't cross, just to get people to like us. That's what Paul and Barnabas are doing here. There's three confidence boosters along the way in these verses. Uh, God gives signs to confirm the word spoken again. They heal this man in Lystra. Uh, number two, they're going together in verse one. Uh, that's something else. They've, they've, Paul and Barnabas, they have a team with them. Now, if you've seen the Jehovah's Witnesses around, so they've learned this well, right? You'll always see them in twos. Going, they go they go together. Right? We need friends and companions to sharpen our minds, uh, to encourage one another, to push each other on. That's important. That's the second confidence booster. And the third is simply that they are sent. Uh, note the plural apostles in verse 4. In, in that sense, we're all apostles, right? Barnabas and Paul and the rest of us. Now, they, they were, of course, called to full-time evangelism, Paul's writing scripture. Uh, but our first focus should be our main vocation. We're sent to do good work at the office, in the home, in our schoolwork. But Jesus has placed us also in the world among unbelievers deliberately. He says that in John 17. That's why I read that. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, Jesus says, I have sent them into the world. That's key. So Jesus sends you. And. You know, when it's Thursday morning and you're at the shop or at the office and you wonder, what, what does this have to do with what I did in church on Sunday morning? This is what it has to do with it. Jesus sent you there. So uh, fulfill your vocation there. He sends you. You have his written word. You have fellow believers. Don't back down. Don't cry foul at the first hint of trouble. Stay on course. And then comes verse 5 and 6 too, though. When a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. So, don't back down isn't an absolute rule for every time. (laughs) In other words, right? Paul and Barnabas knew when it was time to leave. And the word is actually flee. There's a violent attempt being made. Know when to retreat. And Jesus says this, If they reject you in one town, flee to the next. Again, this seems to be connected with the phrase violent attempt. So that's probably what's going on here. Uh, there's lots of reports we have of persecuted Christians all around the world who leave their town when things turn violent. The mob comes and burns down their house. And they decide, I think it's time to leave. And that's, that makes sense. There's nothing wrong or cowardly about that, necessarily. Their suffering is, is building Christ's church. So that's uh, what's going on. So they know when uh, to flee, to go to the next place. And they do. They go to Lystra. And that's verse uh, 8 through, uh, let's see, 20. Uh, so a long account here of the healing at Lystra. The temple of Zeus is mentioned, which is interesting. It, it seems there's a connection here. In Acts 3, Peter healed a lame man at the temple in Jerusalem. And now here is Paul healing a lame man near the temple to Zeus in Lystra. And both happen because the kingdom of God in Christ is showing itself and restoring people. That's what's going on. Whatever uh, temple you happen to be near, it's it's the healing that God brings through his uh, anointed representative, Paul. That's, that's what's going on. Isaiah 35 uh, re, uh, predicts this, right? The eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer. And that's what this man is doing. So uh, Paul, notice, let me find the verse, verse 9, observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed. That's a key verse we ought to consider a moment. Faith to be healed. Uh, He believed Paul was speaking of the real God. And the man's thinking to himself something like this. This God could heal me if he wanted to. Now, we have to be careful here. I want to spend some time on this. It's not, I have enough faith to be healed. Right? When you think that way, then God is kind of absent from your thinking. It's more about my level of faith. And that's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, this God could heal me. Right? There's, a, there's a difference there this man believes God, Paul's message about the God of Abraham sending Jesus he believes Jesus who lived hundreds of miles from Lystra died to set him right with the living God that's what he believes so we have to be very careful not to infer from this that if you aren't healed then you must not have enough faith or, or if God's not fixing your trials and your troubles you just don't have enough faith that's not that's not the conclusion to draw from this that's a pernicious error that adds a huge burden of doubt to the trial you're already going through it's something that uh, i'm always eager pastorally to lift that burden off of people the same paul who heals this man had a thorn in the flesh that did not go away even though paul prayed earnestly for it several times take this away and god didn't heal him did paul not have enough faith That's not what's going on. So, no, the simplest explanation here is that Paul received unique, infallible revelation from God somehow, that this man was to be healed. And so he sees the man's believing him, his message. And so he he, uh, takes this step. So our prayers for healing, uh, our prayers for deliverance from trials, uh, they should be persistent and expectant. That's still the case. But they should also be submitted to God's sovereignty. Right? That's why I said it the way I did. This man's thinking something like, this God could heal me if he wanted to. And, and go ahead and ask God to heal you. So those of us who rejoice in a sovereign God, sometimes we can lack expectancy and persistence in our prayers. And those of, of, uh, those of us who seek fervency in our prayers can take submission to God's will as giving up in prayer. But it isn't that. So those two things need to stay together. So may God grant us the faith to continue in prayer. Uh, this man is healed, and, 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 they're, uh, and now what's, what's happening here? Verse 11, how do they respond? Um, let me find a minute. When the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices. And now they're not talking Greek. Uh, so one key thing here to remember is that Paul and Barnabas don't understand what they're saying. This isn't Greek, it's Lycaonian, some, some other dialect. So they think Barnabas is Zeus, they think Paul is Hermes. And what's happening here is that they, they knew of a legend. There was a myth going around there then that said that Zeus and Hermes had visited various towns and had been refused hospitality in those towns. And so Zeus and Hermes destroyed those towns. It's kind of a little myth that folktale that's told to, to the kids to make sure, okay, so you know we've got to be hospitable to strangers that come in else Zeus and Hermes are going to get us. That's basically what they're thinking. So now, that's, that's why they go the way they go. Oh, these are strangers, and they just did something interesting. This must be Zeus and Hermes. Paul and Barnabas, they don't quite get it at first, what they're thinking. And that's something I just want to apply kind of on a tangent. There are times that um, the response to Christ's gospel will confuse us, right? And that's what Paul and Barnabas are thinking. People are going nuts around us. we don't know what they're saying. What are they doing? That's going to happen sometimes. People will respond in interesting ways to the Christian message. and we have to figure out what they're thinking. Maybe they've been misled to believe error in the past, like this Zeus and Hermes thing. Right? You know with all of our worldview training and all of those errors, that we can sometimes come across like we know it all. And we have to take each person's response on its own. We need to listen, not just speak. We also have to play detective and figure out what people are thinking and then seek to explain further. Oh, you're thinking that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Then you know what to say next, right? Uh, This goes for our kids, too, as we raise them in the faith. Pay attention. Their actions are showing you what they think, what they believe. So uh, this is happening. And and then uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they figure it out, verse 14, they rush in, tear their clothes, they cry out. It's interesting. So you got this crowd of people around them kind of going crazy and Paul and Barnabas just rush into the middle of it and say no stop 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 and they, they just work with all their might yelling at the top of their lungs probably to stop what they see is happening oh you're going to sacrifice to Zeus and you think Barnabas is Zeus no 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 so, so, so they're, they're pointing now to a living God instead right that's what they start saying we are men with the same nature as you verse uh, 15 uh, and, and we preach to you that, the, the, that we should turn from these useless, useless things to the living God who made all things. So you've got this clash of assumptions, right? Is Zeus real or is he nothing? What God gives rain? This passage shows how hard it can be to change assumptions, right? Healing leads to sacrificing to Zeus. No, 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 no. And, and so you get a sermon. No, think about the living God. And what Paul does here is he appeals to common ground. He does this all over the book of Acts, not just at Mars Hill, that's the classic example. Here it happens too. We are all men who get rain and eat the same crops. That's how Paul preaches in Lystra. Now, I've been in Lystra about 20 years ago. I toured Israel and and Turkey. Uh, You go to Ephesus, and it's this big, bustling town And then you go to Lystra and it's a 10 mile hike out in the middle of nowhere and it's just dirt. And Lystra itself isn't a town anymore. It's just a pile of dirt. (laughs) That's all it is. It's as rustic as can be. These are farmers. This is a small town. This isn't Ann Arbor or Brighton. This is, I I could hardly think of the right town. Cahakta maybe, something like that. A, A drive through, blink and you miss it kind of town. That's Lystra. And so Paul adapts the point of contact to the audience. These are a bunch of farmers. So what does he say? God gives rain. God gives us the crops. See what he's doing? Back in Pisidian Antioch, that's more like a college town. That's where you're more likely to talk academics. So there you get a long sermon. Paul rehearses scripture. He quotes it. Find the point of contact with the people in front of you. That's what Paul is doing. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. And then what does he say uh, later on? At the end, uh, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium come and persuade the multitudes and stone Paul, drag him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Wow. Opposition from the Jews again. And notice, they're hunting Paul down now. (laughs) From town to town. Where did he go now? Now, Remember that Saul of Tarsus used to do that himself. He would go from town to town, house to house, arresting people. So now it's happening to him. Well, they're hunting him down, they get the town against him, they get him stoned. This time it must have happened so fast they didn't have time to escape, like they did back in verse 5. Now, when you're stoned, it's unlikely that you survive. We usually assume if you're stoned, you're dead, right? Actually, that wasn't always the case. Part of the stoning tradition became that if you survived the stoning, then everybody assumed that you must be innocent of the charges, that God had miraculously preserved you. And notice, that's exactly what happens. They drag him out of the city, they figure he's dead, and what does he do next? That that partly explains verse 20. Uh, However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, and went into the city. Here's Paul being Paul again. He's not running away from the enmity. He goes right back into the same town where those those people just stoned him. And I think this is part of the reason. I think he's showing them. Here I am. I survived. So God thinks I'm innocent. That may be one thing he's saying to those who at least uh, believe that tradition. Well then, also interesting, the very next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. That's a 60-mile walk. So he's stoned one day, takes another hike the next day to the next town. So that's, that's Paul's. So now, what is he doing here? Op- realize here that opposition that we face can seriously hurt. Now, when, we, when I talk this way about trials are coming, or maybe you're going through a trial, to some of us, maybe that seems academic, because you haven't really had a whole lot of life troubles. Some of you are going through maelstroms that are just horrific, but realize that opposition can really hurt, financially, whatever it may be. Are we willing to sacrifice for the truth of Jesus? Are we gonna keep witnessing to his person and to his power when we are mocked and marginalized, when we are fined or fired, when we're evicted or imprisoned, when we're bullied or beaten? This is happening to some of our brothers and sisters around the world. Some of us, maybe even in this room. Be praying for them. And I think it's interesting, just just a bit of cultural commentary here. It's interesting, I think, that Satan attacks us right where we as the church are tempted the most. Right? We in this country, one way that American Christians, I think, are tempted, we want so badly for our society to follow Christ but instead they mock us, right? We desperately want influence because we have the answers. It's not like it's necessarily a bad desire, but we're losing that influence. And that can be a temptation. Well, what can I do to get the influence? And now we're manipulable. So let's take a time of this. We have this time, I think, right now, many of us do, still a, a time of relative peace and prosperity before more troubles come. And I would urge us not to pursue more comforts, not to pine for political influence, but to bolster the foundations of our faith before stronger storms come. Am I really committed to the Lord Jesus, even if I'm rejected and hurt like he was? So that's, that's what's going on here. We just had the... Um, hurricane down in Florida. uh, I think it's a lot like predicting hurricanes. When we think about our culture getting more hostile to the faith, uh, there's a lot we can do to kind of forecast cultural currents like weather patterns, right? We can see storm clouds brewing and it doesn't look good right now. But we don't know what direction things will take exactly. Uh, We don't live in a world neutral to the claims of the Lord Jesus, we know. We need to commit to his side and your team, Christ's team, they're practicing. And game day is close. So suit up and practice hard. That's my exhortation there as, as storm clouds arise, as we hear about Paul being stoned and hunted from town to town. Almost through, verse 21 next. When they had preached the gospel to that city, here they had come to Derby now, they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So this this last section is a great primer on how to live as the church after evangelism. Make disciples. Set them on the path of learning about Jesus. This is why I, I read from Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles. That's what he did. A, a good king, he sent out the priests and the Levites to teach in the towns and take the Bible with you. That's, that's what the king has uh, the, the church leaders do. It's a real blessing. So, uh, these early new young disciples in all of these towns they're submitting to christ's lordship as the resurrected son of god they accept his salvation at the cross for their sins so they begin learning about him about the old testament scriptures that foretold him they have never heard of the old testament what's this genesis to what lots of teaching to do and so paul and barnabas go back they return to them later they go back and visit they stay in touch even though these cities officially rejected them and kicked them out. They go right back. Well, we've got people here. Christ has people here. And something else to notice, uh, these cities were in the opposite direction of home. If you look at a map, if you've got a a physical Bible, this is one reason I like physical Bibles, by the way, is because they've got maps in the back. These maps. Sometimes they come in handy right now is one of those times, but look at it later if you don't have it now. They do a basic rough oval, right, Antioch, let's see I gotta do it backwards for you, Antioch then down to Cyprus and then up to Pisidian Antioch and then over to Cyprus, uh, Lystra, Derby and now Tarsus is just a little bit ways along halfway back to Antioch. They could just go straight back to Antioch, but no, they go all the way back around the whole loop because they need to go back to all those churches, they've got to follow up. That's way more important than getting home sooner. And notice, interesting too, it was also more important than Paul going to Tarsus, his hometown. I, I don't know what was going. We don't know what was going on in Paul's uh, family life at all. But for some reason, he deliberately doesn't go to Tarsus. <laughs> he stops at Derby turns around and goes and visits all those churches again so i'm making a big deal about it because follow-up was a huge priority for paul and it needs to be for us too when you talk to somebody checking on them again a few days later or next week whatever it is strengthen their souls they encourage them to continue and they say through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of god well of course they're saying that they've got a whole town against them and they're brand new believers. Oh, they were in such need of encouragement and teaching, just like all of us. So that's what Paul and Barnabas do. Uh, they, they speak of the faith. They, they talk of the faith. They're, they're, that's an interesting phrase, the faith. Right? There's literally a body of teaching that we have, that, that, that we need to convey uh, to one another, and that we need to continue in the faith once delivered to the saints. It's critical. And yes, troubles will come. I've uh, got some verses I was going to read, but I'll, I'll just mention Romans 8:16 and 2 Corinthians 4. We don't lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Our light affliction for a moment is working a more exceeding weight of glory. And then verse three, uh, 23 also, what else do they do? So when they had appointed elders in every church... They prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. What's what's left out of that, you know, the whole point of that is they they appoint elders, they commend them to the Lord, and the point is because now we're leaving. We've got to go to the next town and do the same thing there, right? So interesting what's going on here is this is part of the follow-up, and this is part of, okay, we followed up, now we can't stay here. So now you're on your own. How are you going to be on your own? Well, we're going to pray to the Lord, commend you to the Lord, and we're going to appoint elders. That's what we're going to do. Pastoral oversight is needed after the apostles leave the scene. And the elders were the solution the apostles gave us. And here again, just a bit of a hobby horse of mine. We often think that the early church was all just free form. That it was all just spirit-led. There were no... No elders, no structure, that, that all came later with Constantine, and that, then they organized the spirit right out of the church. That tends to be how we think. That's not the case. That, that, that kind of thinking has more to do with the 1960s than it does with the book of Acts. Anti-institutional thinking. The apostles didn't think that way. They knew the infant church needed structure and form to grow and to withstand early attacks and notice also just a bit another bit of a hobby horse plural it's always plural elders not just one guy right not just one pastor but a team of leaders and i i don't think i can say this enough from the pulpit i am not the leader of this church right i'm one of several i'm the guy who's up here talking most of the time 90 percent of the time so it feels that way to everybody but i'm not the leader of this church that's not how this works there's a team of elders, and Paul appoints more than one elder in each church. Well, again, verse 23, uh, it's astounding to me, frankly, that Paul, but Paul's planting church in town after town after town. And so he leaves a whole church after two visits, right? He's there once, he plants a church, converts people, makes disciples, goes somewhere else, comes back, teaches them, follows up, and now he says, okay, I'm gone. You guys are on your own. Whoa! But he's, but he's taught the elders, and the elders can teach the rest of the people. That Perhaps that's how it goes. Paul's trusting the Spirit at work in these converts. And he's leaving churches behind wherever he goes. So, uh, after verse 23 then, at the end, uh, what happens next? The, he, the, the rest of the verses there follow the, the chorus back, that oval I talked about. And then verse 27, they come back, they report all that God has done had done with them. That he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's mentioned because of what's coming in the next chapter. About the, there's, there's going to be a lot of people in the church that are very skeptical of that. But Paul and Barnabas say, God opened the door to the Gentiles. They, they come back and they report. Again, Antioch is their home base. Uh, even though they went through Barnabas's family home of Cyprus remember that? that's mentioned here, Perga that's where he's from and they were close to Tarsus as well Saul's hometown so they're, they're working all around where these guys grew up but that's not home base their new family is the church and they come back and they report what happened and that's important to do The church in Antioch, they they had their own lives, but it was important for them to hear what God did through Paul and Barnabas in those cities far away. What do they report? Well, this was our first missionary journey. That's the way we say it today. And they met with much opposition. We made a lot of disciples. We established churches in four cities at least in about two years' time, perhaps. The door of faith swung open to the Gentiles. So they report back to the church. This is something we ought to do as well, our reporting. We can have so much information overload these days that we shut these kind of things out, but we shouldn't. Check out what's new at Love, Inc., at the pregnancy center that we just prayed for this morning. You know, It's, it's kind of strange, but I find that when I reconnect with old friends, uh, that's one way it happens. Uh, I find I grow most and learn the most, when I'm telling others what's been going on in my life, right? You see somebody you haven't seen for two months, what's been going on? Now I've got to think about that and summarize that and say it to somebody else. I haven't really done that myself to myself. So, so you learn about yourself as you report to others even. Tell others your story. What is your story? As you tell that story, you should be interweaving what the old hymn called the old, old story of Jesus and his love right verse seven of our text again reminds us they were preaching the gospel in all of these cities the living god has been faithful to us in giving rain and crops we have not returned thanks to him we've gone our own way but god sent his son jesus to return us to him the jews rejected and killed him but god raised him from death and showed him to the disciples alive And Jesus taught them more about the kingdom, commissioned them to make disciples of him throughout the world. And so here we are in Derby, and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. God's promise of restoration is to you and to your children and to people far away. So spread the news. Here you have Paul and Barnabas building up Christ's church. They're suffering, they're teaching, they're reporting what God has done and God is blessing that uh, to the glory of his son, Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word, this encouraging report of what you have done uh, through uh, Paul and Barnabas in the early missionary journeys that they went on. Lord, we think of those uh, infant new believers and how they were built up in the faith And we are reignited, Lord, in motivation to build up one another, to give edifying speech instead of corrupting speech to one another. Help us, Lord, to point one another to your truth and to your grace in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. He is the living word, and we sing as he taught us to pray.
2: with the Lord Sable this morning, reading from Romans 15, the first six verses. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his building up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As members of Christ's body this morning, living in community, Our fellowship needs to match that of our Lord, who, as Paul says, did not please himself, but bore the reproaches committed by us against the Father upon himself. His sacrificial life not only bore our weaknesses and our sins, but he now builds us up in his resurrected life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures. As we gather at this table today, We thank our God that he is granting us one mind in Christ that we that are rejoicing may be with one glorious voice to the praise of our Father in heaven. We invite to the Lord's table this morning all those who are baptized under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone alone
0: I.com Again, thank you and blessings.